Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall on Coming Up for Air. I'm here with co-host Dominique Simone Levine. How are you, Dominique? I'm well. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And Kayla Solomon. Good morning, Kayla. How are you? Good morning. Good. So, um, Dominique, uh, you're going to introduce our topic for the day? It's a big topic. It's one every family has to tussle with, and that is your loved one is using drugs or alcohol and is homeless, technically, right? So the decisions that you're being faced with as a family is do, do they come home? Do you find, how do you find housing and treatment for them? Um, and how much more difficult that, that is right now with, with COVID and the restrictions in residential care. So families need to think about this and they, they do think about this. So hopefully we're gonna come up with some ideas and solutions this morning. What, so what are your thoughts, Kayla? Uh, this is this is possibly the most difficult topic that we deal with at all because it's like what do you do with limited options because one option is what if if you allow the person into your house there's that that there's lots of tentacles that come with that including is it a safe thing to do for you and the rest of the family if you're going to have them come back in are you going to set up any boundaries or rules or expectations? If you do, what are the consequences for not following those? And are you even capable of following up if they do not follow the rules? Then there's, you know, do, do they need to go into a shelter, a homeless shelter? And what, how does that happen? And then there's the treatment question. And the treatment question has two prongs. One is what's the availability of treatment? Actually, it's more than two. What's the appropriate treatment for that person? And three, the most important one is, is that person willing to go into treatment? And if they do, are they going to stay? Which, of course, is a big question mark. But are they interested in treatment? Because, you know, there's a, if, if, there's a couple of factors. Number one is, do you are you going to be paying for it? And if you are going to be paying for it, then um, is it are you sure that that person is going to actually engage or is it throwing your money away? So those are my thoughts. Take it away, folks. <laughs> the idea well, of, well, let me just talk a little okay. bit about treatment right now, because we are having a lot of difficulties and we're hearing from a lot of families whose loved ones are home only because they can't find a treatment bed. And so that is a, a very difficult place to be. So you end up with some with someone home that you weren't really prepared to have necessarily, or you have other family members that don't agree with it. That's, that's what we're coming up with right now in one family. Um, and so the, the first thing I would really recommend is that you start looking for treatment today, wherever your loved one is, whether she or he is active, uh, pausing, lapsing, 
even abstinent, you need to know what's around uh, so that if tomorrow the person goes from being resistant to doing anything about their situation to being willing, you have the list of options in front of you. And we can talk a long time about that list of options, which we're going to touch on this morning. But you need to work early on this because you're going to be making phone calls. You're going to be answering questions. You're going to be figuring out wait lists and insurance and payment and transport and care for children and animals and rent and whatever else might be going on. Um, that they're leaving behind while they go into an inpatient or residential treatment. Um, so start early with that, and and you're going to need to take some time. You're going to have to act like a case manager and come up with all of this yourself. So um, I love what you're talking about, Dominique, because what you're talking about is make sure and create a plan. Get, get a plan, be prepared, anticipate what's going to happen. It probably isn't going to happen as smoothly as you anticipate, but be prepared. Um, and I also think that that's exactly what um, families need to do. Let's say you are considering letting your loved one come home. Create a plan for that too, right? Um, I see that as one of the... Um, one of the most difficult things to overcome is allowing your loved one to come back and live with you in your house and not having not having a plan, not having kind of what Kayla was talking about, preset boundaries and limits as to what is acceptable and what you can live with, what is safe for everybody. And so having a plan in place before that happens and making it very clear and following through when the person does come, come back home. So the, the idea of, um, of this resistance to treatment and, um, and, and willingness to go or coming home, it all hinges on a moving daily cycle in your loved one. And you're going to learn by answering questions on our site in module two, module three, sorry, you're going to learn those patterns, right? And so there's always, always, I say, a moment of low resistance. There's moments where your loved one is willing to listen to an alternative idea. And you want that list on paper right there, ready to show them the minute you hear this, what we call change talk, this wish or a dip, right? You're listening for, you know, I'm so sick of sitting on this couch. I wish I could take a course. That's a wish or a dip, which is, you know, I just feel terrible. I don't know. I just can't get off the couch. That's a dip. Those are openings and moments of lower resistance. And that's when you would have this sheet that you've prepared ahead of time. And that's if they're living home or not living home. You need this regardless so that what Lori's saying, if the plan for being home doesn't work or you're not capable of keeping it up, you need this list because part of what you're going to do is sit down and say, hey, you know, you were in the bathroom showering and, and you OD'd and you did it twice. And now when you shower, I am so scared, you know, and if, if this is the way you're living and you're not able to stop it, 
then you really need to think about yourself and the rest of your family. And maybe this person is, is too active for you to have home. And if that's the case, you're going to follow craft. You're going to follow the, the, the little intervention we teach you in the end. And you're going to gently move them into something on that list. And at the bottom of the list is the shelters. So that you you have done what you can, and that can include a month's rent in a in a communal home, uh, anything to sort of get them out the door and and keep them safe as safe as you can. But they have to go out the door. So Lori Lori has this uh, very effective planning that she does with with folks who are um, who have them home or want them home or are coming home, and then we have this other whole plan that we want you to put in place for when that doesn't work right. or when they're not home or when they're out there. Right. And that was actually, uh, that that's actually a part of the plan, I think, overall. So even if your loved one is coming home and you're setting up these boundaries, um, making it clear that if they're still like, you're still using opioids um, that can't happen when you're living here, right? Because then I'm unsafe and you're unsafe. I will have a list ready and you can make start making some phone calls to some treatment facilities. It, it's always like, I always had that in my own house. I always had that ready. If, you know, if this is an unsafe place for you to be, here are some options. Where would you like to go? Exactly. Right. And- thing is that you wait for a moment when that resistance is low. Right. Wait for a moment when they're going to listen to you. You're going to have improved your communication. You're going to have improved the way you step in and step away as you see the pattern of use and going on and on in your loved one. And you're going to wait for a moment when they're more ready to listen. And I am here to tell you that in everybody's addiction life, there are lots of moments when, you know, you realize fully well that it's the drug or it's the alcohol. It's a moment of clarity. And most of us, when that happens, we go running to the next drink and forget all about it because our habits are so ingrained. That moment isn't able to come to fruition. If the family is there catching the moment, your loved one is now talking to you because you've settled things down and you've built this bridge between you, then that moment becomes the intervention. And it's just a quick look, you know, I don't know what's going on, but here's a list of things. Let's take a look at something here. Maybe maybe you would like to sample it. Go once. You don't have to stay, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you, you do all these little things, little little ways of, of, of presenting it that makes it sound minimal and together and connected and partnering and looking at this sort of thing, okay? Well, what so I, that, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What Go I on. would add is that, that li- the written list that you have, that you have like bullet points in it so that you're describing the information that you got so that it becomes a, something that you could actually read. And I would leave them around. Like I would, I would make copies of it and definitely make copies because it will be ripped up at some point by somebody, <laughs> but definitely have extra. Cause I was actually thinking laminate it, but that seems a bit much, <laughs> but have a copy with details that of what you learned for yourself. It's like takes insurance, doesn't take insurance, does DBT, has this kind of program involved, dual diagnosis, whatever, so that 
that you not only are doing your research on it, but that it becomes something that is a, something that they could read, like when they're sitting around, if it's sitting there, they, if they look at it, they get more information because then it becomes integrated in this very passive way. And that's also when there's an opening, they've already looked at that list. They've already thought about that. And you're not having to talk about every detail with them. Um, and I think the passive, the passive availability of that is a really important factor here. Yeah, I agree. We can stick it on the side of the fridge so that nobody sees it, right? But it's right there available all the time for or them. Or in the bathroom where you have your magazines, right. you just slip it into that little magazine rack. <laughs> right. And and I think it's also important to, to touch on a few um, particular pieces of having a plan. The first is when your loved one is not at home and they're trying to come back home, that's when you have leverage. That's when it's like, well, these are the things that I need to have happen um, in order for us to be, and I, I try very hard to not like, it's not blaming the person, but it's in order for us to live together, especially as adults, because it's normal for adults you know, if you have multiple adults living in a house to have like disagreements and to not, you know, to want to live like independent of one another. So, you know, having that, th this is what I need because you are in a relationship with this person and this is what I need in the relationship. I need us to be going to family counseling so we can communicate together. I need to see you attending an IOP and consistently going to an IOP. I don't mind what meetings you go to, but I'm expecting to see you attend meetings or, you know, um, uh, all I'm asking is that you make sure and keep your bedroom clean or, you know, whatever yeah. it is, but you set up those boundaries. So you're in a unique position in those moments when you have something that they want, right? That it's like, well, I'm willing to give this want to you as long as you can fulfill your end, which is, um, it, you know, my needs for my relationship with you if we're going to live together. So wait, I have a question about this because one of the thoughts I have, and um, it comes out of the duct tape parenting for, for younger kids, but the idea is that you have a meeting with this person before you make any choices and decisions. And I have this thought of like asking them, like since this is the pattern of what's happened before and we don't want to replicate that, what do you think are realistic expectations? What's your plan about what you're willing to do? And then the most important question that I believe is, what do you think are fair consequences if you break that? Because I think people know that what, and especially if they're trying to navigate this with you, that they need to come up with consequences. If this doesn't happen, what's fair? Um, or what what should we be doing if you break these rules or that this doesn't happen or you're not doing this? Because I also feel like the engagement in that way of like really getting them to think about what other people might be experiencing in that situation is another tool that you're giving them. You know, what do I get to do if you don't follow through on this? What happens if you don't follow through or this doesn't happen? What's fair? And that you ask them that question, because I think it would be, if nothing else, it's an, it's interesting to hear what the response is. Because if they say, well, I'm an addict and there shouldn't be any consequences, then you get to say, well, I this is my house and 
there needs to be some kind of rule. So maybe this is not going to work out if you think that, you know, that your substance use shouldn't have any consequences. I don't feel good about that. Yeah. I would I would also underline the fact that you as the family also have work to do here. You're going to have to really learn craft in order to make this work for you at home. I, I, got, I just answered a question that came on the site this morning from, uh, I didn't have to answer it. The, the person was brand new and they said, I just want feedback. My loved one has overdosed twice in the shower. And now when he goes to the shower, we're all on complete hysterical edge, right? And so because they started looking at the communications module, the, the, the parent said this, I think it was a him. He said, I, I don't want to hover. I don't want to be irritating, but you've overdosed twice in the shower and it makes, it completely rattles me. Would you mind leaving the door unlocked in the shower and not using in the bathroom? Right. That was, that was it. Right. And the next time the shower was like a third of the length, he was right out of there. He went right to his bedroom. Everything, everything was, was good. And the family came down a huge notch. Can you imagine living with that day in, day out? That's what we're talking about when they're home. And, and, the, and, and the other, the secrecy, right? When they start to, to chip away or start to use a little bit or not, and you think they are, you know? So you've got a huge task on your hands if you're having them home. And, and it can be done, it can be done well and it can be beautiful, um, but you're gonna have to really protect yourself. This person, um, after a couple of days, found a solution by talking differently to their loved one that reinforced the boundary of where they're not allowed to use. Right. They didn't kick them out. They didn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they sat down and they found a little solution. Now, if that had continued, the family might've said, look, you know, we can't, we can't live this way. Um, here's the list. And um, please choose something and let's help you get there because living here right now isn't working. You're overdosing. Right. You're scaring everybody. We love you. Um, tell us what you're. Tell us what you'd like to try next. Right. The, the other thing, Dominique, about what you're saying is that that family gave that person an opportunity to be successful, and that's what's that's the gift of this. It's this small thing that they asked. Then the the loved one that's using got to actually follow through with that, and everybody felt better about the situation because of it. So because it was this micro suggestion and done in a loving and kind and open way, it actually became a success. And that's that's the success that you want to build because now that person realizes that they could do something that's different, and that's powerful. And that's the craft model is giving people an opportunity to succeed. Right. And I, I also, I, I agree with everything that um, everybody's saying. I also think that it's really important, one, to do what Kayla has said, where, where uh, include your loved one in, as uh, being a part of the solution. But I also think it's really, really important for families to start to, um, to start to take their own uh, uh, protection, safety, thoughts, and needs into account that a lot of the time we don't. And so I think it's okay. And not maybe not so much um, in the situation with the shower, because the person's already living in the house. But when someone's coming back into the house, 
verbalizing and letting your loved one know what your needs are. These are my needs. Um, uh, and maybe then including, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I have these particular needs. I can't have you in the bathroom with a locked door, not because of you, but because of me, because I'm gonna go crazy pacing the floor and watching and listening and doing things I don't want to do is, you know, and then asking, you know, it's your choice is, you know, is this something that you can live with because it's something I, it's a need that I have that you can't be say in the bathroom behind a locked door. Can you do that? You know, and if you can't, I totally understand that maybe you need to go and live in a recovery home for a little while or, you know, or a shelter or, you know, whatever your other options are, but this is a need that I have. And it's totally based out of the fact that I love you so much and I know I'm going to, I'm going to worry too much. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the difficulty in finding treatment, whether you're living, your loved one's living at home or not. It's just, really hard right now. Kayla, you're a full-time clinician. You're overwhelmed. All clinicians seem to be overwhelmed now. Um, if your loved one is home, you're going to set them up with community treatments. That's the list you're going to provide. And the part of the leverage is you're going to have to choose one of these and do something towards recovery while you're living here. If they're, if, if they're not able to live home without using and under your roof, then, um, then they have to go. So, okay, where are they going in COVID, right? How are you going to find treatment? How are you going to find quality treatment? So over 18 years of looking for treatment, we've learned a lot. We've learned about all the regular ways to look for treatment, and that's very disconcerting, right? Those, those advertisements with the informational blog, and then behind it is, is a generic treatment program that has nothing to do with methamphetamine, you know, or and so I was just hunting for treatments for methamphetamine and I went, wow, this is just as bad as it was 15 years ago. And methamphetamine is at epidemic proportions in the, in the West and coming East and, and there's nothing, nothing specific for them. You'd have to put together, this is what I just helped her with. It was, I think you're gonna have to find a sober living situation and you're gonna have to find um, a detox or, or someplace where they can clean up so that they're eligible for a sober living situation, right? That's the other thing. They need 30 days or clean before you, sorry, clean or abstinent before, before they can get in. There's, um, so those things are going to be very tough to find. Um, what I suggested for this person was we know a few things that are beginning to work for stimulant abuse. And and, and that includes contingency management, which is this interesting application of paying people not to use, reward people with money for not using. It actually works. It's so surprising and it works better with stimulant abuse because of the nature of the, uh, of the, um, the cravings and the psychological part of it. Um, and so, you look for contingency management, you look for the scholars who are writing on contingency management, you call up the universities, you talk to them, where are people being treated? How did you find your, your sample? What's going on in your area? Um, and then the, there's an, another way, uh, there are lots of ways and we have a whole methodology on our site 
Um, but there's associations of specialists, like there's a dialectical behavioral therapy group associated in Connecticut. You can find all the specialists that do that work. So start by finding the quality treatment that might be an outpatient approach. It probably is. It's a limit. You know, these are eight, 10, 12 um, sessions typically that, that, that are really well studied, but stop pretty soon. But it's something that your loved one can attend, uh, whether they're home or not home. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of effort in probably for her putting together uh, living independently somewhere with a specialist that does contingency management. There's also a two drug medication that's showing promise uh, of using Welbutrin and mm -hmm. Naltrexon. Um, so somebody willing to work with some of the, uh, the, the newest research on, on, on methamphetamine. And by that, you would actually find the quality maybe free because there's studies or there's specialists. And from there, you wrap around the housing if, the, if that's all outpatient. So that was my solution for her. But that took a couple hours of figuring out that there's nothing. And I didn't even know where she lives. I mean, I just looked anywhere because I said, okay, well, let's, if we find anything that specializes in methamphetamine, we'll figure out how to ship that person to the other end of the country, right? So um, it's- And I love this. I love what you're saying, Dominique, because family members don't understand. One, the process of navigating this system is so difficult. It's, it's just incredibly difficult. Um, but also that you're laying out that maybe different substances have different approaches and different forms of treatment and, um, and that each situation may be incredibly unique. Um, and coming up with like this individualized plan is so important. Well, and then I, there's I the it. mental health piece too, right? because that's the other thing that is a huge factor here is what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, if is the mental health issue causing the substance use, and if you stop the substance use, then does that help the mental health piece? And it's like, that's the most complicated piece there. People have such serious mental health issues that are using. And if you're only treating the substance, then you're not treating the mental health piece. And then I always wonder about this. Like if you actually, if they, cl if they get clean or sober and then they go and um, to a mental health, only mental health program, will that help? Like if they're actually getting their mental health issues treated with the correct treatment, with, with, um, with medication, does that in any way shift the substance use? Right. And that's, that's a huge question. And, you know, that's a lot of what we talk about in our group is when you have dual diagnosis, what's the right treatment, especially since the substance use mimics mental health, the mental health disorder, and also the mental health disorder creates the craving or the desire for, as I like to call it, quack treatments where you're your own psychiatrist treating your, your mental health issue. And it, and it doesn't work because it creates other problems, which makes more of a mess. Right, right. So, so, the, so in terms of craft, what Kayla is saying is maybe you lead with the mental health issue. Maybe they don't want to hear about their pot use. They love their pot use but they have terrible anxiety. Is the anxiety something that came 
before or is it a is it a side effect of the pot who knows but they don't like the anxiety and they'd be willing to go talk to somebody about anxiety exactly not pot but anxiety so you right. work you find a mental health clinician you tell them ahead of time I, I often say there's no fair fight you tell them ahead my my loved one has uh, uh, an addiction issue we believe with this that and the other and this and that is going on who cares if you've if you've broken some boundary there at the beginning, you're going to make sure your loved one is going to get looked at properly. And so if you're the one looking for the clinician, you can have this conversation beforehand. You leave the number on the sheet. The clinician has told you what time to call, what time your loved one should call, when they're going to answer their phone, that they have availability, that it's paid for somehow. And that's when you put it on the sheet. You don't right. put it on the sheet where they're going to have to make endless calls, right? So you have to get that sheet really specific and you're going to have to include anxiety at the top. Maybe no mention of, of, of pot at all or addiction at all if you know your loved one is completely resistant to stopping pot. Right. right. So, so what I'm hearing us talk about is that, number one, um, you need to have plans in all these different areas. There's the plan of if somebody is moving back into your home, what's the discussion going to be like? What are the expectations? What's the agreements that you're coming up with? What are the consequences? And you're engaging with that person. Then there's the, 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 the setting up the treatment list and really, really doing your research on this so that you're really looking into it so that that's, that's the easy part for the person once they went, if they're ready. And then there's you watching for these moments of what I think we're calling softening, which is this moment where the resistance is, there's this slight opening and that's when you're moving in with the possibilities and the rewards and things like that so that people could start thinking about when they want to, if they're interested in treatment, how to pursue that, but you're not coming in with a hammer, you're going in subtly. So there's this witnessing that you're doing of moments where you could step forward. And, and the other thing is that there's not a lot of treatment out there right now. I personally think I would like to throw in that, that family members are the best advocates and there's money coming in from the Sacklers um, that, that have not been established yet. This is the time to advocate for what you think needs to happen with your local governments, uh, because that money is going to have to be spent and they need loved ones to be able to step in and talk about what what doesn't exist right now and what needs to happen. So that there's not these people creating programs that don't hit the spot. Well, thank you, ladies. This was fun. And uh, we'll be back again next week with another great topic. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.